Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Institute allowance. Leaders continue to jump on the bandwagon after Obama's support of gay marriage, but the question is, if Obama jumped off a bridge, would you take a cock in the ass? And we interviewed Climate Commissioner Tim Flannery and asked, what was the cause of the recent floods? Climate change or pesky kids sitting on roofs in the outback eating corn? That's tonight on Irrational Fear! <laughs> Fantastic. Welcome to Irrational Fear 3.0, the show that tells you how to be scared of the world and just what to be scared of. And we've got some of Australia's brightest minds sharing some of some oh, sorry, sharing uh, their views on some of Australia's dimmest subjects. Later on, I'll be talking uh, a little bit about uh, climate change with Tim Flannery. But before that, uh, Scott, what are you going to be chatting about? Uh, yeah, I'm going to be chatting about the Craig Thompson scandal. I've kind of got um, scandal fatigue. I feel like if I saw a headline with Christopher Pine in Gerbil Incident, I probably wouldn't even read the article. <laughs> Lewis Hobber, tonight you'll be cracking open a PBR and ironically looking at the end of hipster culture. Yeah, that's right, Dan. There's always been a lot of hipster hatred online, but I just feel like the new wave just isn't as good as the old stuff. <laughs> Sophie Brame, despite Carl Sandilands being in hospital, Big Brother is coming back. Correct. I love how unlike Community or Firefly, there's no grassroots online campaign to bring this show back. Literally nobody has asked for the show to come back. <laughs> Heath, Obama has come out in support of gay marriage. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I thought it was about time a filthy breeder weighed in on the issue, so here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and Dash, uh, you're going to be talking about economic hardship? Yeah, it, uh, whether or not uh, we're going to get money, do well out of the Telegraph, or get killed by a lane shark named Pinky. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I reckon it's likely to be the lane shark we're all going to get done over, so pray there's an Asian fishing boat nearby and they get turned into shark fin soup. <laughs> Very so. good. And the Sydney Writers Festival kicks off today, but Chris Taylor, you'll be reading between the lines. I will. An amazing lineup this year. There's around 200 authors in town at the moment, with 500 books between them. It's an interesting stat, because 500 books is incidentally what Peter Fitzsimons alone wrote last year in autobiographies. <laughs> But first, it's time for Hash Nuggets. Now, 
This is where we wade through the cesspool of online social media to shine a light on some A-grade trolling. Now, we found a website this week. Um, it's called Literally Unbelievable. It's a site dedicated to the comments uh, that people leave underneath articles on Facebook uh, posted by the satirical news service The Onion, except these people have no idea that The Onion is satirical. <laughs> Uh, so I found some really good ones. We found some good ones. So Sophie will be the voice of the onion and everybody else will be the idiots on the internet. You can put that on your IMDb, Sophie. Yeah. Voice of the, the onion. onion. Yeah. And we'll put voice of the idiots. <laughs> Final minutes of last Harry Potter movie to be split into seven separate films. <laughs> Warner Brothers will recut the last four minutes of The Deathly Hallows Part 2 and stretch it into seven films so fans can enjoy the Harry Potter franchise for another decade. So, pr pretty ridiculous. And this is the conversation that happened underneath. Is that real? If so, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah, it's real. Grr. I'm, <laughs> I'm really mad at them now. The last book isn't even the longest book. Exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. I mean, come, people. The last four minutes, really? It's a very important part of the series. The last four minutes of the movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> But it's political subjects that elicit the most divisive reaction, including the ever-polemic subject of lunch. Obama's approval, approval rating down after photos of him surface eating a big sandwich all alone. <laughs> and uh, the left go in to defend the president. Like we give a fuck if Obama has lunch alone. So what? I eat alone all the time. <laughs> <laughs> While the centre-right go in for the attack. That was terrible. I would vote Republican if they got a real candidate, not the losers they have. And as for middle America... Oh, this is ridiculous. I'm glad he eats sandwiches like me. <laughs> Was that middle Canada, Heath? <laughs> uh, but perhaps the best people complain about stupidity are actually those who actually can't spell stupidity. Obama, Obama finishes deal to get every American a free parrot. Really? A free parrot? Really? What do we want with a parrot? I'm trying to defend why I want to re-elect Obama to my friends, and this isn't helping. Jason, it's stupid to re-elect him because he has me dump ideas to help him run the country. Anyone who re-elect him is stupid. <laughs> now, it's completely understandable that Americans would be confused by these ridiculous headlines because they're kind of faced with this cray-cray shit all the time. Uh, take, for instance, billboards in Chicago this week by climate denial group the Heartland Institute, who last week launched an outdoor campaign featuring the face of Unabomber Ted Kaczynski with the caption... I still believe in global warming. <laughs> Do you? You know, according to the Heartland Institute's press release, this is the actual press release, the billboard campaign was also going to include... Charles Manson, a mass murderer, and Fidel Castro, a tyrant. Other global warming alarmists who may appear on future billboards include Osama Bin Laden and James J. Lee. If you, like me, have no fucking idea who James J. Lee is, thankfully the press release goes into detail on that too. Who took hostages inside the headquarters of the Discovery Channel in 2010? Oh! James J. Lee, who took over a building with toy pistols and killed no one. Oh, Heartland Institute, that must be why your big corporate donors pulled a million dollars worth of funding this week. Your choices of criminals are getting a little indie. <laughs> but the best thing about this press release is the caveat in the very last paragraph. Of course, not all global warming alarmists are murderers or tyrants. <laughs> 
Of course, of course. That it also works the other way around too, because the only thing Hitler liked warming up was the oven. So, guys, uh, bit topical. <laughs> it's very too soon to do that in the eastern suburbs, at least. Yeah. I can say that I look Jewish. Um, <laughs> really? Which part? Jewish. <laughs> the top part. Uh, <laughs> take that as you will. Um, now, what should have the heart? What should have the what should have the Heartland Institute had on their billboards instead, guys? Uh, Desh. I think uh, they should have it's warm, but put on a jumper and then it'll be cold. <laughs> right, it's right. Just ridiculous. Yeah. I don't know what I'm just trying a marketing idea that works like hire door French with a massive red finger and just have down down temperatures are going down. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Lewis, well, I, I just think that a way to kind of reverse it, if you were looking to sort of be in favour of uh, the climate change science, you could have someone like Ted Bundy who got the chair and just be like, let's hope they use renewables. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I, I actually thought if we were talking other other criminals, you could have someone like Roman Polanski, like with a slogan like "He's fucked everything else, but at least he didn't fuck the planet." Because yeah. <laughs> he cares about children, better future. Yeah. <laughs> a rational fear, because being reasonable doesn't sell papers. A rational fear. It's not rocket science. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. The guy who's pinned over here on the stool. Um, it's good to be up here. I'm talking a bit about uh, the Craig Thompson affair today. You guys know all about Craig Thompson. So my philosophy on the Craig Thompson scandal basically is this. It's very simple. If it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and there's credit card records indicating that a duck was purchased from a known duck vendor... And a driver's license was placed for the procurement of ducks. And mobile phone records support the duck hypothesis. It's probably ducks involved. That's all, that's, that's all I'm saying, all right? You know, the, whole, the whole thing kind of reminds me of that classic scene from Austin Powers. You know when he's, he's getting all his stuff back when he's uh, been, been frozen and there's a Swedish-made penis pump? And the guy, it's like... One credit card receipt for Surrey Hills Escorts. Signed by Craig Thompson. One driver's license. You were to procure Surrey Hills Escorts in the name of Craig Thompson. One book written by Craig Thompson. Surrey Hills Escorts and me. You know? And he says it's a stitch-up. Oh, it's a stitch-up. I got set up. You know, this involved, like, credit card details, forged signatures, mobile phone records, stolen driver's license... I just don't think the health services union could pull off something so sophisticated. You know, this is, this is the same union who, like, two weeks ago when they got raided, the director allegedly tried to flee the building with a suitcase full of documents. All right? I don't think we're dealing with, like, the upper echelons of criminal masterminds here. But, um, look, something I, I really wanted to talk about tonight was uh, the new bikey laws. You know, there's been a lot of uh, bikey-related violence um, recently. And what they've actually done is um, they've made it illegal for bikies to wear their jackets in certain, certain licensed establishments, like the King's Cross Hotel. And um, so just to clarify, by the way, it's now legal to wear bikey jackets in this pub. New South Wales officially has fashion police. All right? <laughs> My theory, I'll just live uh, just behind the pub here. My theory with bikies is, like bikey jackets, 
if, if, if dangerous people want to wear voluntarily clothing that identifies them as dangerous, I think we should let them. You know, like, these are, this is an easy way to kind of find the, the criminal mal, maladjusted elements of society in the same way that you would use, say, a bulldog's jersey. You know? Like, all right. Um... You know, like, if, I, if I'm standing downstairs at King's Cross Hotel and someone pushes in front of me in the line to the pub, in the line to the bar, I want to know that that person's a bikey. You know, so I can wittily insult them silently inside my head like the good white middle-class person that I am, all right? I don't want to be, like, lining up at Vinny's Hospital in the emergency room going, well, Doctor, he was wearing a smart pair of chinos and a polo shirt. Had I known he was the leader of the nomads, I would have kept my mouth shut. But um, look, the last thing I want to talk about, Barry O'Farrell's actually made it illegal. Sorry, he's made it a fit and proper person test to own a tattoo parlour in New South Wales recently. You have to be a fit and proper person. Now, like, I think there's a lot of tests that you should have to pass to own a tattoo parlour. Um, spelling test, for example. You know, Chinese vocabulary test. <laughs> But I don't think, you know, you need to be a fit and proper person to tattoo, like, a naked woman riding a skull. You know, I think, just to finish off, you might have heard the, the Levinson Inquiry. Rupert Murdoch has recently been found not a fit and proper person, which means he can't own a billion-dollar multinational broadcaster or a New South Wales tattoo parlour. Which means, ladies and gentlemen, soon, tattooing New South Welshmen will be the only form of print media in Australia that Rupert Murdoch doesn't own. Thanks very much. Talking about Craig Thompson now, Desh, you're a public servant, but public servant by trade. Have you, you ever never know by the suit, would you? Yeah, <laughs> Desh is wearing a suit uh, wearing for those suit. for those yes. listening at home. For the, for the radio audience, uh, I am I am dark skinned as well. <laughs> so, uh, whoa, the whoa, accent gives whoa. it away. They can't hear your ethnicity. No, that's right. Um, get fucked. Anyway, uh, <laughs> get a dog up, yeah. Have you witnessed any uh, any of your friends misappropriating funds in your job? I cannot confirm or deny, Senator. And uh, but you're, I, I you're will, in practice. I yeah. am in practice. Yes, I, I will say I haven't seen any friends misappropriate funds, but I have seen a lot of misappropriation of fun in the public service. Uh, and if that, yeah, and that is a crime. That is a crime. Very well, subtle distinction. I, I have heard that union memberships are going down generally across the board. And this just seems like a great opportunity to boost membership. Like, if you get Craig Thompson organising your events, you just go, the guy knows how to throw a party. Yeah, it certainly does. It certainly does. Well, there's a reason why union sh- membership is going down then, really, if Craig uh, Thompson... Uh, yeah. Oh, I see. <laughs> Come on. Do you want me to draw it out, people? Do I need a picture? I was just hoping Chris Taylor would jump in there with a down-down reference, uh, <laughs> just to top that off. Um, so uh, Parliament's getting pretty dirty these days. Uh, we've, uh, we've got Hooker Gate, Slipper Gate, Pine Gate. What gates don't we know about Chris Taylor? I always thought it'd be funny if Bill Gates committed a murder. <laughs> <laughs> or Gabrielle Gattay, just for the, <laughs> just for the Gattay, Gattay, Tate. I... I, I I think we're still waiting for Scapegate to emerge, which is where high-profile high politicians misappropriate funds for ice skating birthday parties. <laughs> little ice cream cake. It's, you know, it's good value, but it's still our money. 
Can you imagine that at Senate Estimates Committee? Well, what's this here for an ice cream cake? 20 bucks. Hang on, skates weren't included in the hire agreement? <laughs> well, did you, uh, the GSA in America spent a uh, million dollars on, uh, on their annual conference in Las Vegas uh, where they got mind readers and, uh, and other things and they all got a, a commemorative medallion to remind them that they spent a million dollars of public funds. Oh, that's terrible. Poor Craig. But it's not been all bad news. The HSU has taken an opportunity to capitalise on their newfound fame recognition and have done something very special. Securing your election win? $100,000. A barrister that someone else has paid for? $160,000. Celebrating with an all-you-can-f**k buffet of hookers? $6,000. Sobbing in a crumpled mess in the corner of your shower, not because your career has been destroyed by an inflamed ego and a sense of greed, but realizing that if you resign or get fired, you'll probably have to spend more time with your family in Adelaide. Priceless. There's some things money can't buy. For everything else, there's the HSU credit card. Good evening. <clears throat> I want to start with a sort of sad story. I recently went through a pretty heavy experience. I, um, I had to come out to my parents. Um, I sat them down. I said, Mum, Dad, look, I've been thinking about this for a really long time, and um, I'm pretty sure I'm a hipster. <laughs> and there was a really big pause, and then Mum just started crying. And she just said, this is all your father's fault. He was a hipster too. And that's true, because I've seen photos of his beard from the 80s. Dad took it a little bit better. He tried to blame my optometrist. A boy so young has no business with frames that bold. <clears throat> I try not to blame myself, but I grew up in Melbourne. We'd have games of Scrabble only using words that describe disappointing coffee. Insipid, 23 points. So at the end of the day, my parents did take responsibility because it's a parent's job to keep kids away from danger. And being a hipster is fucking dangerous these days. Hipster hating in Australia is a trend that keeps getting more and more popular. It's like discrimination Zumba. <laughs> and I get the anti-hipster thing, because when hipsters get together, there are so many tall, skinny white guys with glasses, it's like the easiest game of Where's Wally ever. <laughs> There's Wally. There's Wally. They're all fucking Wally. <laughs> If you haven't seen much hipster hating, uh, it ranges in extremity from things like the Bondi hipsters video about FBI radio uh, to news limited op opinion pieces like 10 signs you're an inner city tosser. Now, I'm not here to defend hipsters. I don't want to. No one wants to. It'd be like listening to Marie Antoinette trying to defend her decadent lifestyle. But a hipster Marie Antoinette wouldn't say let them eat cake. She'd say let them eat a modern twist on classic Mexican, which she buy from a food van run by a friend of a friend who works in advertising but doesn't really like it because it hampers their innate creativity. So I'm not here to defend them. But if the internet continues its trend, its current trend of anti-hipster videos, soon they're going to outnumber porn. And no one wants that. So I'm here to share with you the secret to actually getting rid of hipsters. Stop hating them. Hating hipsters is the only way young middle-class white people like me can feel like a minority. And that's exactly what we want. It's like we can finally relate to Rosa Parks, except I'll never catch a bus. <laughs> what I'm saying is if you really want to fuck with hipsters, 
Embrace everything we do. Stop renting your house. Start renting a space. Throw out your old clothes and buy new clothes that look like old clothes. Get a bike, roll some cigarettes, and date someone who looks exactly like you. I know what you're thinking. Hipsters are crafty. If we embrace unpopular things, then won't hipsters just embrace popular things in an ironic way? Yes, they will. So you keep them on the run by embracing irony. If you don't know how, just think of an awful band you hated 10 years ago. Like the Backstreet Boys. Now, buy a ticket to their reunion concert. You've just mastered irony. It sounds like hell, I know. It, it'll work. And if they retreat to a small bar that only serves Mad Men era cocktails, then you leak that bar to the Daily Telegraph. All of a sudden, this tiny bar is surrounded by a hipster's mortal enemy, the line. No one knows why, but hipsters will never queue. <laughs> what I'm saying is if you laugh at a, if you find yourself laughing at hipster parody videos and you're thinking this will show them you're wrong you're just making it worse if you embrace hipsters we won't be able to run forever it's hard to run in these jeans <laughs> and if you think you're not capable of embracing hipsterness remember you're the ones that a poorly advertised live recording of a political satire podcast broadcast on community radio you're all just a trip to the optometrist away <laughs> Uh, now, FBI's been uh, been the subject of those Bondi hipster guys. You guys know the Bondi hipsters, the guys from YouTube? You guys know those guys? Well, they've been making fun of FBI. They've been ripping into us. Um, if you've missed it, here's a, a sample. I mean, the only station that I listen to is FBI because nobody listens to it. No, that's so true. Like, FBI is so underground that they actually have to do a campaign once a month just to stop the place going under. <laughs> Welcome back to FBI Radio, giving less shits than ever before. If you're out there, you know, on a lazy Sunday night, giving five shits, I want you to give three. If you're giving 12 shits, then that's just way too much. That's terrible. That's terrible. I think that's a little unfair portrayal of FBI. What do you guys think? Is that a bit unfair? Heath? Uh, well, you know, FBI's had it too easy for too long, really, haven't they? <laughs> Your golden microphones and all this sort of stuff. Oh, no, sorry. That's the other one. Yeah, that's Sanderland's punk. You know, the guy who eats human babies for breakfast. <laughs> That's why he's in hospital. He's got indigestion. Yeah. It's, it's a little pushing hand against his tummy. For the first time in a male's history. Yeah. What about, uh, what about hipsters in general? How would you like to see them die out, Scott? Um, well, I think the worst way for hipsters to die out, like any subculture, is for them to be subsumed into mainstream culture. No? Oh, wait, I've got a joke now. Um, yeah. And also, their skinny jeans will give them deep vein thrombosis. Yeah. Yes. Dash, what have you got? I'd like to see some gears put on their bike and then watch them shudder with indecision. <laughs> As they try to pick a gear to go uphill. Irrational fear, easing the suffering of second album syndrome. Hello. Um, I'm going to be talking about Big Brother and the Big Brother auditions that were recently in Sydney. So this is Penrith Panthers, huh? Says my inner monologue profoundly. It is April 29th, 2012. Day two of the Sydney Big Brother auditions. It will be the show's ninth season after a four-year hiatus on air. I'm here as a curious bystander. 
though I may as well be wearing a fedora with scoop tucked into the brim, such is the extent of my self-mythologising as an investigative journalist out on a stake stake out. I take a blurry photograph of a Nova banner, strewn sadly in the wind. It may become admissible evidence in the case of the brutal murder of the Nova brand. I write in my moleskin, nostalgia, the role of, and begin chanting to myself, notice stuff, notice stuff. Leading into the audition area is a desk teaming with Big Brother crew. They're wearing black t-shirts flaunting an updated Big Brother logo. It looks more like a line drawing of a kayak or a cross-section of an avocado. (laughs) As people enter, they are handed both laminated numbers and numbered stickers. It's an inscrutable, redundant taxonomy that sets an authoritative mood for a show about people who have none. The audition waiting room is a room with bright halogen lighting and casino carpets. I feel like I'm at a concession party for the state election. (laughs) Leather hoodies, teal green skinny jeans, grim straight hair fashioned into a severe top knot the size of a second head. (laughs) Daytime sequins, a McDonald's uniform, sunglasses on the back of necks, calf tattoos... I'm pretty sure I'm in a room full of people who comment on YouTube videos. (laughs) Everyone's quirks have the cumulative effect of looking exactly the same. Just like how every girl at Good God looks like Manhattan is their favourite movie. Every every girl at the Big Brother auditions looks like they make no effort to understand Facebook privacy settings. (laughs) I sat next to a young guy clutching his CV in a plastic sleeve. I discreetly read the text he's drafting, drafting, and although I'm pretty sure I can never relate to anyone who doesn't ah ha 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 at the end of a sentence, I, I give him a warm smile and we start chatting. His name is Samuel and I ask him why he decided to audition for Big Brother. He says he didn't really want to, but his mum made him. She'd heard the ad on Nova and she said he might win the money and that would help them with their mortgage. Plus, Trevor won so a black guy could win again. And... and I said he should have auditioned with his mum, and he was all, nah, they did that already. He asks me why I decided to audition, and I'm like, uh, I don't know, just curious, I guess, which in this distracted setting counts as a perfectly legitimate conversational gambit. We're interrupted by a crew member making an announcement. Is 2307 here? Is 2307 here? Is anyone here number 2307? Before adding in a voice audible only to those in the seats near mine. He's left his children here. (laughs) My new friend and I continue chatting and he asks how old I am. I've already snuck a look at his plastic sleeve and the 1990s date of birth contained therein. I quickly Benjamin button myself and lop off a few years. 25, I say. He tells me he doesn't mind who's in the house as long as it's not old people. I say, what about me? I'm old. And he's like, nah, man, you don't seem old. You seem like you're like 18. Yes, I seem exactly like I'm 18. To someone whose frame of reference is limited to 18 years of human experience. Anyway, he says, you're not old. I just don't want to be in the house with anyone older than 26. (laughs) It's such a sweet gesture. He's made room for me and my fake age to just scrape through. We sort of run out of conversation after a while, but it gives me the chance to tune into some other frequencies. Turns out everyone is asking everyone else how old they are and why they want to be on Big Brother. I want to do it so bad. 19. Not to be famous, but... 19. Something different I haven't done before. Not everyone gets to do it. 19. 
I like loved Sarah Marie. <laughs> the ghosts of Big Brother contestants past haunt the room. Everyone is extremely literate with the vocabulary of the show, using dialect without italics or quotes. Intruder is as real a word as student or food blogger. The housemates will be a self-selected population of people weaned on reality TV. There's a beach ball in circulation and it makes me feel like the least fun person in the world. Everyone is enviably uninhibited around the beach ball, feeling elated as it comes near them so they can make it go near someone else. <laughs> I come up with the brilliant idea of asking Samuel if he's seen The Hunger Games. The Hunger Games is a thing that people like. Not to mention The Hunger Games forward slash popular culture and reality TV. This is going to be a great conversation, one of our best yet. Seen The Hunger Games? Nah. I, <laughs> I take it on my, upon myself to explain The Hunger Games with great detail and sensitivity. The third act of my Hunger Games monologue morphs into an extremely patronising lecture about how he should just be himself in the Big Brother house. He is wildly uninterested. I'm competing with his iPhone and the beach ball lobbing back and forth to our left. And why would he be interested in my advice on how he should behave in the house? Maybe I have to win Big Brother real quick so the patronising advice I genuinely enjoy dishing out has at least some flavour of legitimacy. And if I stop spending so much time being caught up in the narcissism of our small differences, are Samuel and I really exactly the same person? Am I really 18? Would it be corny if I proposed to him in the house? Am I... The curious bystander, seriously about to audition for fucking Big Brother? Thud. The beach ball hits me in the head. A rational fear. Sophie Graham. Now, for years, people have been saying that reality TV is dead, um, but it seems that we've got more reality TV shows on TV than ever before. Where else is there left to go? Chris Taylor. Um, look, I think there's a long way to go. I think even even if we don't invent new formats, we can even always make the current ones bigger and better. Like the uh, with the Voice at the moment, I don't know who watches the Voice. I think it's on tonight. If you want to switch over, but um, you've got those chairs which only spin halfway around. I'd like to see season two if they just spin all the way around, faster and faster and faster and faster until Delta's lips fall off. And Joel Madden chokes on a toothpick. Then I think, well, they'll be in uh, yeah, reality. Nirvana. Or a God No button where they swing around and go, oh, God no. <laughs> right back round. Yeah, I've, I'm the kind of getting it bigger and better. I've been waiting for MasterChef to have a kill their own meat episode. Yes. You know, you just get Sally Sarah in as a guest judge. <laughs> and Matt Preston as the guest meat. <laughs> <laughs> Disgustingly tasty. <laughs> 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 That was, my, that was my pig being slaughtered, sorry. <laughs> it, was, it was very good, it was very good. Now this week, um, two cast members from the new Channel 10 show, The Shire, oh, yes. were sacked from production for oh. unsavoury behaviour. <laughs> from the show, The Shire. <laughs> Surely auditioning for The Shire is unsavoury behaviour and should ban everyone from being in it. What do you think uh, the unsavoury behaviour was? Uh, Desh. I think they were reading Shakespeare. Or <laughs> uh, well, somebody had a dictionary. Uh, Heath. Uh, it could be one of two things. It could be the uh, extremely rare sexual move called the Dutch camel hunt, which hasn't been on television yet, but look out for it. Or it, it could be just the fact that they realise they're on reality TV and they're just part of the celebration of the mundane that continues to rot Australian culture. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, ah. 
I think it was because uh, two of them unfortunately made polite complimentary comments about the Lebanese community. <laughs> Would that be the mayor? <laughs> Everyone's allowed on the beach, aren't they? Get out of here! A rational fear. Why bash a wog when you can turkey slap one? A rational fear. Ripped off and on a rampage. Good evening. Tonight we're joined by the Government's Minister for Employment and Workplace Relations, Bill Shorten. Mr Shorten, how are you this evening? I understand that the Prime Minister's addressed this in a press conference in Turkey in the last few hours. What, she addressed how you are this evening? What, what did she say? I haven't seen what she said, but let me say I support what it is that she said. It's a pretty harmless question. I was just asking you how you were. You don't have your own view on that? Well, my view is what the Prime Minister's view is. But surely you'd know how you're feeling better than she would. No, when you are if I've got my view on this. That's such a general question and invites me really to go. It's not really a general question. It's just a simple pleasantry. How are you? It, it's not that hard. These matters have yet to be established and I support what our Prime Minister has said. You don't even know what she said. But I support what my Prime Minister said, so... Well, as it happens, I have a transcript of her press conference in Turkey and she said that Bill Shorten is nothing more than a grovelling, pathetic yes-man too gutless to voice any opinions of his own. What do you say to that? I support what it is that she said. She also called you a scheming fuckwit. I support what it is that she said. And Ambitious egomaniac. I support what it is that she said. And a man whose appearances in the Beaconsfield telly movie single-handedly dragged the whole drama down. I support what it is that she said. She also said that unless you become your own man with your own views, then pretty soon you'll be politically dead. Oh, I'm sure she's right. Mr Shorten, thanks for your time. <laughs> a rational fear. Bill Shorten, ladies and gentlemen. Um, now, I, I don't know if you realise it, but it's a um, tonight's actually a very culturally significant evening in uh, the day of the city. Um, for starters, Channel 9's launching a brand new Australian drama, uh, Pack to the Rafters. Sorry, I mean, uh, Tricky Business. Sorry, I don't know how I got those two confused. Um, th they've actually, it's already in the cam. They've had to frantically sort of Photoshop spinning, rotating red chairs in just because, you know, ratings, peace of mind, I believe. But the other reason um, tonight's significant is it's, or today is significant, because it's the start of the Sydney Writers Festival. It was launched today. For me, it couldn't have come soon enough because we are so starved of festival events in this city. I mean, <laughs> I mean aside from the Sydney Festival, obviously, uh, and the Vivid Festival, um, and the Mardi Gras Festival, Taste of Sydney Food Festival, Flickerfest Film Festival, the Tropfest Film Festival, the Festival of Dangerous Ideas, Sculpture by the Sea, the Sydney Comedy Festival, the Sydney Film Festival, the Sydney International Food and Wine Festival, Future Music Festival, the Laneway Festival, Playground Weekend, Underbelly, the Sydney Biennale, Short and Sweet, Home Bake, Park Life and Field Day. Apart from all those, I feel like there's a real dearth of festivals in this city. So the launch of the Sydney Writers Festival today, for me, couldn't have come a moment too soon. Now, what an incredible lineup it is this year. Have you seen the program? I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, I've, got, I've got it here with me tonight for uh, the FBI listeners. Uh, this is the festival pro program for tomorrow. Just a sample of what's on offer at the Sydney Writers' Festival tomorrow. 9 o'clock a.m., an audience with Geoffrey Eugenides, moderated by Annabel Crabb. This is a rare opportunity to hear the author of The Virgin Suicides be asked a series of cringeworthy and asinine questions from the public. Despite having an author of genuine intellect in the room, the session will mostly be a platform for tedious members of the audience, many of them aspiring novelists or spinsters from Katoomba, or both, who will waste the international guest time by sharing their ignorant, ignorant views on the future of the novel. The session will also include long pauses while the roving microphone is passed awkwardly to each of these fuckwits. Bookings essential. 
10 o'clock, nothing to hide. Former director of the CIA, Glenn Carr, will discuss the role and importance of privacy in a session that's so private that no one's allowed to enter it. Anyone who accidentally glimpses the event will be immediately detained by US agents and tortured, either by relentless waterboarding or by being forced to watch the promos for Andrew Denton's new TV show, Ranlin, on loop. <laughs> the event will be moderated by Annabelle Crabb. Looks terrible, looks terrible, that show. 11 o'clock, The Feminist Supremacy. A fun, feisty forum full of fabulous, funny women. Join Catherine Devonish. as she reminds everyone 40 times that she's an atheist. <laughs> While Kathy Lett responds with a lengthy string of puns. Bookings completely inessential. Even Annabelle Crabbe's refusing to go to this one. 12 o'clock, Tragedy versus Comedy. Do we prefer novels that end happily ever after? Or do we prefer stories that are more realistically bleak? Annabelle Crabbe moderates this not-to-be-missed debate in which acclaimed novelist Jeanette Winterson argues the case for tragedy while the plea for a happy ending is put by John Travolta. <laughs> One o'clock, a masterclass in fiction with former Labour MP Craig Thompson. Two o'clock, masterclass in erotic fantasy, also with Labour MP Craig Thompson. Five o'clock, Annabelle Crabbe interviews Annabelle Crabbe. The celebrity chef and occasional political commentator goes head-to-head -head with herself in this not-to-be-missed festival highlight. Includes additional questions from the floor from Annabelle Crab. <laughs> 7 o'clock, erotic fan fiction. Eddie Sharp and co. return to the festival for another night of smut and hilarity. You won't want to miss this opportunity to hear Marie Cardi say the words boobs and flaps over and over. It never becomes unfunny. <laughs> Session might also include a respectable Belvoir actor using the word minge. <laughs> 8.30, erotic fan fiction. Will Anderson takes Eddie Sharp's exact same idea and tries to pass it off as his own. Only this version has slightly more references to Shannon Knoll and Will's numerous Barry Award nominations. <laughs> if you're unable to attend the session, session, it will be made available afterwards as a podcast which Will will post repeated links to and positive reviews of on his Twitter feed. <laughs> 9.30, The Chaser's Empty Vessel. Join members of The Chaser team as they interview authors whose books they clearly haven't read. Esteemed international guests are forced to sit awkwardly while the team make references to Amanda Vanstone that used to work for them ten years ago. Please note, do not attend these events expecting any of the guests to get a word in. These sessions exist solely as an audition piece for those members of the Chaser team who don't already have a show on Radio National. <laughs> totally not recommended, but have a great festival nonetheless. Irrational Fear is sponsored by the New South Wales Police. Taking care of your safety unless you steal biscuits, then we'll taser you to death. A, 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 a rational fear. Yes, g'day. I don't know how, but uh, I got lumped with the topic of gay marriage, which um, is something I get quite cranky about, to tell you the truth. So I, I kind of wrote a 30-minute tirade with my forehead exploding, and I cut out everything with an exclamation mark. So hopefully I'm left with jokes, but don't count on it. Um, I just want to start off by saying I don't have, like, a political agenda kind of thing I, you know, I really don't care in my opinion elections are like police lineups the only difference is um, in an election you pick the person before they rob you <laughs> but dang um, anyway 
and I, I just want, I just like things that make sense. For example, Australia has the highest rate of skin cancer in the world, so it doesn't make sense to me on a scientific level that we have a bunch of gingers standing around in the desert with melanomas sprouting off their heads, insisting that people from Africa and the Middle East and Southeast Asia don't belong here, <laughs> when clearly they were custom designed for this shit. So. <laughs> And it also doesn't make sense to me that anyone can argue against gay marriage. Now, in Australia in 2010, there were 1, uh, 121,176 marriages, and in the same year, there were 50,240 divorces, which means that hetero marriages are running at about 58.5% success rate. So it's obvious that we are pretty shit at this marriage business, right? On this basis alone, I reckon we should give some same sexes a crack we might even learn something from them, you know? Um, it's like if I was trying to hammer in a nail and I keep missing and I just smash my thumb to a bloody pulp and then when my wife offers to try, I tell her she can't do it because she's a woman. Um, here are some reasons that heterosexuals get married, right? Someone got pregnant. Someone wants a wedding, they don't care who. That's right, sometimes Charlene doesn't give a shit who Scott is. They're getting older and it's just something they need to tick off the list. Or finally, because they love each other. So let's have a look at some reasons that gay and lesbians would get married. Because they love each other. And yes, they may want to raise kids, but let's face it, we're pretty shit at that too. Yeah? Corey Worthington, everyone remember? Like, people have kids they don't want or didn't plan for all the time. And it's no surprise when these kids grow up to be just total dead shits. And if you don't believe me, go to a V8 race one day. <laughs> but think about it. What group of people don't accidentally have kids after having sex at the Year 10 formal and then bring them up in half-assed ways, subconsciously resenting them forever for stealing their youth? <laughs> Gay people. That's who. The fact that they can't reproduce, I think, makes them ideal candidates for marriage and raising kids because they could only raise a kid if they really, really wanted to. Hey, Timmy, you could have two dads or two mums, but people who like families don't like that, so you get to grow up in an orphanage. <laughs> an analogy, right? If kids were puppies, heteros are the people that like buying puppies from breeders and then they get bored with them and take them to the pound where they're eventually put down. Whereas gay people are the ones who go to that pound and give the unwanted puppies a second chance and a nice collar. <laughs> also, if you're going to take this line of argument that only people capable of having kids should marry, you also have to exclude infertile heterosexual couples. That's right, Johnny Lazy Sperm and Susan Barron Womb, you filthy non-breeders. When it comes to saying I do, you should be saying I can't. My next point is, I get to raise kids. No questions asked. In fact, I've started raising one already. But um, I'm not saying you should call docs or anything like that. But let's face it, I'm immature. I wear a fake moustache for a living. I get confused by my quarterly bass. And I think dick jokes are still funny. In fact, I had a meat pie for breakfast this morning. So, chili beef and cheese. My gay friends are better at life than I am. They are financially more responsible, more organised and neater than I am. Um, a number of Christian types think that marriage is a religious thing. And for some people it is, 
but so are sunrises and baby birds. <laughs> Let's face it, most of it is legal business, so chill out, the church. <laughs> I also think it's weird that an institution with such a dubious past in interfering with children is telling us about not screwing with the family unit. If I had to choose a babysitter out of, say, Stephen Fry or a Catholic priest, I think it's a no-brainer. Someone else is going to have to host QI that night. <laughs> the only slightly substantial argument against same-sex marriages is that it would become expensive for the government to give them the same financial benefits traditional families receive. Oh, no, human rights are so expensive, aren't they? Now Craig Thompson's going to have to pay for his own prostitutes. <laughs> And finally, and most importantly for me, I think that what I do with my genitals in my own private life is my own business. As long as I don't go around being a rapist. Interesting side note, statistically we have more fear to, from rugby league players than gay people. <laughs> I should be able to stick my wanger where I like. In a sock. In the pocket of a billiards table. In a waffle iron. On my wife's shoulder while she's watching MasterChef. It's my own business. What same-sex couples do with their genitals is their own damn business. Why do homophobes get to sit around contemplating slash fantasising about what goes on behind closed doors in gay and lesbian households? Just imagine it. Two sweaty male forms huddled together, riding in sweaty ecstasy. Or maybe just a greasy mutual handjob in front of the telly on a Tuesday night. It's none of our fucking business! Oh my gosh, it offends me when I imagine it vividly over and over again in my conservative heterosexual mind. They put penises in bottoms. It adds. <laughs> and now this is something that I actually did research. The internet is full of literally thousands of women who put penises in their bottoms. And no one cares when they get married. What's the deal? <laughs> Basically, I just reckon, you know, the big <laughs> argument you keep hearing against gay marriage is, well, marriage traditionally is, is something between a man and a woman. And voting was once something that white men did. So, you know, let's not be the idiots in 50 years' time who are like, oh, yeah, that was a good idea then. We're a bit late, though. <laughs> a strong coarse language. Awesome. Now, Obama came out this week, pun intended. He shared his personal views on same-sex marriage. Um, do you think um, this is enough to sway Gillard or even Tony Abbott? Scott Abbott. Uh, no, because Obama's not a swing voter. <laughs> I would say, so. Dish. Um, well, I, um, I think the only way they could uh, support gay marriage is if they outlawed gay divorce at the same time. So, but to be honest, Gillard doesn't support marriage anyway. So why would she support gay marriage? It makes no sense. Also, because Obama funny. came to the decision after saying that he, uh, he'd spoken to a lot of his, fr his friends and family, and Gillard doesn't really have that option, because according to the latest polling, she doesn't have any friends. Uh, what I like, though, because um, did you see the Joe Biden interview? Joe Biden said part of his reason for coming to accept gay marriage was largely influenced by the sitcom Will and Grace. <laughs> And, and th this is where Australia will fall down because we don't really have an equivalent sort of happy gay sitcom character. Our, our only real gay television character in Australia is Molly Meldrum and look how that turned out. Oh. <laughs> Molly Meldrum jokes are back. Yeah, they're back. You don't want to hear episode two. That's a one-month callback. <laughs> what, you're telling me Mr Squiggle wasn't gay? 
No, no, no comment. <laughs> what, about, what about the footy show? <laughs> oh no, they haven't. They haven't made that official yet. Anyway, <laughs> was Nudge gay? He had a lisp at least. Well, that's why he was called Nudge. Really? Uh, does that, does right. that mean? No. Come on. Hey, Dad was a show that celebrated family values. Just look at the guy that played the dad. I, I disagree. I think raiding Mr. Kelly's fridge was a euphemism for something. <laughs> Uh, well, the American system is ham- so hamstrung right now that by the time a same-sex bill would get to Congress, it would be watered down so gay, gay people would just uh, only be allowed to like each other on Facebook. That's, that's really exactly what would happen. This is a rational Fear. That's me. G'day. Namaste, bitches. How you doing? Uh, it's a great pleasure for you that I am here. And uh, just by quickly, round of applause, how many people support Julia Gillard? Yeah, don't be shy. No, I'm right behind Julia. I think it's great. I think in times of economic crisis, it's great that we have a female in charge. Why? We don't have to pay her as much. And... Uh, <laughs> Hey, hey, you know, you know, it's the rule of business. Put a woman in charge, get twice as much done for half the price. Just ask Westpac or Hancock Enterprises. And, uh, not too soon. But, uh, while banks and, and mines are doing it tough, I'm, I'm like everybody else here this evening, I'm, I am doing it tough. And I know there are other people out there in the country doing it as tougher than we are. For example, the other night I went to a strip club. It was a health services union networking function, right? And the strippers... We're wearing coin pouches, right? Nobody was tipping with the folding stuff. They're all throwing coins because that's all they could afford, right? Uh, that's, that's, that's how tough it is out there, right? And stripping is a tough game, people. It's a hard job. But you try launching yourself off a stage at a pole with eight kilograms of loose change throwing off your momentum around the pole. It's impossible. You know, they're athletes, these people. And this is what they've got to put up with, right? It's terrible. It's sad. It's, it's pathetic, really. It looks like they're collecting for the Wilderness Society. Obviously, a little bit too late to save the bush. But uh, nonetheless, it's an example of how tough things are out there. But the interesting thing, right, I was at the strip club, and the stripper made this really uh, uh, great observation, right? She was counting out her tips at the bar, and she's an Eastern European girl, right, new to the country, working it out. And she was counting the changes. She said to me, Desh, why do our loose change in coins have rare and endangered species on them? Right? And I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, the five cents has the echidna. The 10 cents has the lyrebird. 20 cents has the platypus. 50 cents has the emu. $2 coin even has Aboriginal people. Right? <laughs> And I, I, I was shocked, right? I, I wanted to correct her on that last point because we stopped hunting Aboriginal people at least 50 years ago, right? Okay, we've moved on, right? But as I was about to correct it, the truth dawned on me. Right? It dawned on me and I said to her, you know what I said to her? I said, the reason why we have endangered species on our loose change in coins is pretty much because while they're valuable, they're not really significant to us. Oh, chew on that bit of truth there, people. True on that, and it's fat-free, fatties. So, uh... So much truth in this room, Dash. There's so much truth. So anybody want to tip me with a 50-cent coin a bit later? Go right ahead. All right, I won't be working here again. Thank you very much. There 
Served some time in jail for trying to put a 50 cent coin into a Labrador's head. It was very, um, very unfortunate. Uh, very unfortunate. Because they have these statues and they collect money for the blind dogs. It's a really hilarious joke. Um, now, with the mining boom going on, um, have we forgotten there are some people doing it tough? Have we forgotten? Who are these new battlers? Are they still living on Struggle Street? I don't know. This is a true story. I used to live around the corner from Easy Street. And, um, and this is true. And everyone wanted to live on Easy Street just from a real estate perspective because you could go, come around, I live on Easy Street. And then there was a brutal homicide. Uh, and everyone in like, this house died. It's a true story. And uh, so, comparatively, Struggle Street, a dream. Make of that what you will. I used to live on Video Easy Street. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the, the the new battlers are the bankers, aren't they? Like uh, uh, I've got friends who, well, when I say friends, I've met them briefly. Uh, people who work for Macquarie Bank and the, the Macquarie Bank have literally cut as a, as a sort of um, uh, austerity measure have cut their bonuses. They've halved them from ten million dollars mm. a year to only five million dollars mm. a year. I've seen bankers, Macquarie Street bankers, having to squeegee intersections in the CBD <laughs> just to make end meet and to continue to have their golf well, club memberships. Use my glasses. Well, wasn't it that that dude in Martin Place uh, will work, had to hold up a sign during the peak hour said, we'll work for bonuses. <laughs> That's, uh, that, that, that was the deal. He had a nicer suit than I'm wearing. And, uh, but it, it's, it's weird. I was reading today, actually, uh, because I can. And uh, <laughs> I'm not that much of a battler. But even, I, I don't earn a lot of money, I think. Uh, but I still somehow rank among the top 20% of earners in the country. In, the, in terms of taxes, right? And I can't afford to buy a house, yet I'm still, you know, not, you know still ranked as far as the taxation office is concerned, you know, the top 20% of earners in the country. So I don't think Struggle Street anymore needs to be redefined as a cul-de-sac. Uh, it's probably going to be Darling Point Road. And uh, maybe Edgecliff Road. So let's happen. just extend the FBI supporter drive this week. Tasha's <laughs> home. He'd like to live in Vaucluse. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. A rational fear. We get our hair cut by Mitt Romney. <laughs> a rational fear is made possible due to the generosity of the New South Wales Police. Taking care of your safety, unless you steal a car, in which case we'll shoot you in the chest and then punch you repeatedly in the head. <laughs> Now, if you listen to uh, uh, if you listen to right wing media, <laughs> and where are you guys going? Come come back I here. I, I, I no, I just need I just need Heath to leave. The rest of you can stay here. Um, if you're listening at home, people are leaving <laughs> on stage. That is, um, if you listen to right wing media, our next guest is often accused of lying so much his pants are on fire. But if you're a reasonable person who respects the science, you'll acknowledge that those flames on those trousers are indeed man made flames. Please welcome the star of page two from today's Daily Telegraph, Mr. Professor Tim Flannery. <laughs> Tim, 
Jim, it's such an pr- absolute privilege to have you here on stage with us. This is, this is remarkable, because uh, I know you're very busy today with the release of, the, of your report. What time did you get up this morning? You have very tired eyes. Must have been about 5.30, I think, but I was looking forward to this. This morning, did you? You yeah, did, did the report first thing, get up at 4 a.m. So I know, I know what that's like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> been there, been there. First of all, um, uh, I, guess, I guess my first question is, why are you so goddamn positive about everything? Oh, jeez, well, it's just the way we roll, I think, you know. It's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> the commission's a bit like that. But, uh, no, seriously, uh, you know, I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning if I wasn't positive about things. You've got to keep on you know, pushing, and we've achieved a lot. I mean, globally, in terms of addressing climate change, a hell of a lot of good things are happening, so, you know. I mean, in your book here on Earth, um, you are very positive. You write, if we do not strive to love one another or love our planet as much as we love ourselves, then no further human progress is possible on Earth. Um, Two things on that. Firstly, uh, from memory, the last person who said we should love one another got a little cross. Um, (laughs) And uh, and secondly, Mars. Is this what you're saying? We should all move to Mars? I don't know about Mars, but like... I, I, selfishness really gives me the shits, you know. When people say it's just me, all I care about is me and the money I earn, and bugger the planet and bugger everything else, and I don't give a damn about society. That sort of stuff really irritates me because it actually has a big impact on me and my family and my society. So I think we do have to love one another. Stuff it. You actually have to be a bit tolerant, a bit patient, listen to people, have a bit of community mindedness about you, and if you don't have that, we'll go to Mars, you know. But uh, don't get in my bloody way. <laughs> When you're talking about selfishness, you, you mentioned selfishness in your book uh, in regards to Richard Dawkins' work, and you kind of say that's a coping mechanism, that's a way we evolve as a species, is that...? Well, not really. I think that, you know, we've, for the last hundred or two years, we've had this idea, particularly in the West, you know, that... Uh, Past Parramatta. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not that Very... West, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> the geographical centre of Sydney. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah. Harris Park, very progressive. Parramatta. <laughs> but no, we've had this idea that we're like we're the, we're the apex of evolution somehow. You know that the that the British Empire has been where it's all been heading to, and everyone else has been a bit inferior. So that whole idea of survival of the fittest has been it's really deeply embedded in our culture. I just think it's wrong. I mean, from a scientific perspective, it's absolutely wrong. Well, from a scientific perspective, when when people in the media talk climate science. There's a lot of talk in terms of numbers and figures and all these numbers kind of blur into one another after a while. Um, all I remember is the hockey stick. Yeah, uh, that's that, right. that apparently, you know, I've been taught that's the only thing you need to learn. Yeah. But what are the stories behind climate change? When, for a city like ours, what can we expect um, in the near future, like 10 to 20 years? What's, what's kind of, what's our narrative well, a near future is sort of harder to look at in terms of impacts because, you know, normally we look a century out and see what's going to happen. If you look that far out, there's a statistically, you know, pretty high chance if we continue as we are that things are going to be four to five degrees warmer. Mostly what Dan's Wow, are, that's a different world. Mostly what Dan's asking is um, how accurate is the documentary Waterworld starring Kevin Costner? <laughs> ah, wow. It's a movie. I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's like very is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Gills, Tim. He had gills. <laughs> gills, yeah. Well, might need him again sometime, I guess. But that's right. We should all buy uh, 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 land in Wentworth Falls <laughs> to yeah, prepare. To prepare. Yeah, well. <laughs> now, I want to talk a little bit about kind of how it seems in the media that you're 
up against quite a lot. I mean, ostensibly, the Climate Commission, its job is to give advice to the government, much like Treasury or the Defence Department. No, it's not. It's not. No, no, totally wrong. I've got it all wrong. You've got it all wrong, Dan, sorry. We're we're just there to serve the public, right? We're there to give people the information they need to make up their own minds about climate change. So we're basically an information bureau, you know? We're independent of government. We go out there, we have town hall meetings and things, so people can ask us questions. That's all we do. We don't give any advice to the government. Who does advise the government? Well, a new climate authority is going to be going to be advising the government on, on various uh, aspects of the, the clean energy bill that's coming. Okay, very factual. Thank you. That's all right. <laughs> no worries. That's why he's here. That's why. That's why we've got Tim Flannery and Q and A doesn't. <laughs> Tweet that. How is Kate Blanchett involved? How is Kate Blanchett involved? Good question. Well, she, well, oh, look, she's, she's just been fantastic, you know. Look at the Sydney Theatre Company. It runs off the sun. Isn't that pretty cool? I mean, that's amazing. And that's all her work, so, you know. And she put her head up above the parapet and said, all oh, this is important. Uh, well, what I, want to know, what, what I want to talk about is kind of how you face a, a rabid section of the media in your work daily. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with combating crazy communication that is just wrong? It's sort of, it's interesting, it's a bit like waking up in the morning and looking at yourself in the mirror and seeing Frankenstein there instead of you, you know, (laughs) because the picture that some of the media paints is just totally wrong and willfully wrong. You know, it's amazing, and I never thought that lies had that sort of power, you know, that if you lied often enough and and consistently enough, you'd create this this thing that has a certain reality about it. And that's unfortunately the way, uh, you know, some people who read that media see me and the Climate Commission now. But how, but how do you deal with that? Like, how, when you read the paper, when the paper's in front of you and you go, my God, millions of people are consuming this. I, I heard you have a catapult that fires puppies. <laughs> <laughs> Confirmed. <laughs> what names have they got on their foreheads? <laughs> tattooed on, you know. <laughs> you don't know half the story, man, yeah. I tell you. See, <laughs> Tim Flannery tells puppy jokes. Yeah, right, we're together on that. Yeah. <laughs> I make jokes about Aboriginal people, nothing, right? <laughs> Forget that shit. But, you know, but, but personally, it must be pretty tough. I mean, you've got, you've got a lot of people uh, who are misinformed and they're constantly, they're constantly against you. How do you personally kind of deal with it? I, I, look, I, I've, I, you know, I, don't, I pick my fights pretty carefully, right? I did a lot of work on the climate science area. I, I wrote a book about it. And it's something that I really care about. I think it's important. And if I didn't get up and do all of this stuff, I don't know, I don't know whether I could look my kids in the eye, you know? So it's important for me that I do it. And sure, some days you're losing the battle, some days you're winning the battle. But in the longer term, I just, you know, I look back and think seven years ago, Al Gore hadn't even written An Inconvenient Truth. We hadn't had any of the major climate meetings. We hadn't had the country's commitments to change things that we've got now so we've come a hell of a long way despite the fact here in australia we're still fighting a battle that was long over in the rest of the world um we've got to keep going you know i just think it's important tim do you think it might have been easier if your book was a little easier to understand maybe you had written a children's book like run spot run the seas are rising (laughs) fucking run my book was bloody good mate it actually pushed marley and me from number one in canada on the list so I think it worked. It's all right. Uh, just, a, just an interesting point, Tim. I, I was reading the first chapter of, of the book on the way, on the way down and because and, uh, I can read You've got people, me worried now. And, uh, right. and I've got a book. Could you please sign it a bit later? And I'll put it on eBay uh, for anyone. 
for our housing oh. deposit. But my point, the interesting thing I noted about the first chapter of the book was like, I've, I've, I've been working in the environment 20 years now and I learnt more about Charles Darwin and, and the theory of evolution in the first chapter of your yeah. book than, you know, that's actively filtered down in my drug-addled, you know, right, yeah. yeah punch drunk brain and yeah. I, I thought is that is that the key to climate to convincing people is it making it digestible is it making it you know chunking it down as they, as they say yeah i think so and look how is it that we go through school and university and never really read what charles darwin discovered which is the mechanism that made us mm. isn't that incredible i mean the blueprint really that made us we can understand why we're the way we are if we understand darwin's message i think that's an incredible thing and i can't believe we don't you know, most people get through life without really understanding what he said. Well, I was so, blown away that Charles Darwin studied to be a priest. Yeah, he yeah. was to be a priest. An Anglican yeah. priest. I, I just get bored with any concept that happens over, you know, more than seven days. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this is... This is taking too long. Where's my rib gun? <laughs> <You know? laughs> now, Tim, while the reports of abusive emails to climate <laughs> scientists and the, the climate science department of the ANU have been downgraded from death threat to just extremely cranky, um, is there a message you can give to angry people out there who, who, who kind of get riled up about the climate science and who, who don't understand the science? Yeah, look, I just think, you know, uh, get informed. That's what's really important at the end of the day. There's a and lot of experts. Just listen to there. Alan Jones or, or oh, Ray Hadley. They'll really tell you the facts. Great experts. And... Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> Ricky Lee has some interesting things to say. <laughs> well, look, <laughs> it's incredible, you know. It, it's one of those issues where everyone feels that they've got the right to, to have an opinion, even if it's not a very informed opinion. So, you know, if I... you catch a cab, you'll get an opinion. If you, you know, get on the bus, you'll get an opinion. Um, but, you know, if you really want a serious opinion, really easy just go to the academy of sciences website or nasa website or something like that and they're in very plain language you'll see what the real experts are saying so you know well tim flannery it's been a real pleasure to have you and a privilege to have you here um that before you go um opinion um but you know if you really want a serious opinion really easy just go to the academy of sciences website or nasa website or something like that and they're in very plain language you'll see what the real experts are saying so you know well, Tim Flannery, it's been a real pleasure to have you and a privilege to have you here. Um, here. But before you go, um, while there have been death threats um, given out to the climate science community, um, we've actually got a love letter um, written God. to you from someone very prominent in the scientific now community. Now you've got me really worried. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's not from some sort of radio personality, is it? Uh, no, it's not. No, it's Because they seem a bit obsessed with no. me. I thought maybe it's no, no, no. not from some... It's a passing uh, phase, thing, is it? <laughs> That's what I hope so. I thought, I thought about wheeling out Alan Jones, but I'm going to retire that. <laughs> um, no, no, it is a love letter from someone very prominent in the scientific community. <clears throat> Dearest Tim, I don't know how quite to say this. <coughs> there is no evidence to back up how I feel about you. <coughs> the inconvenient truth is, I love you. <coughs> Unlike climate science, my love for you is undeniable. <coughs> my love is renewable. <laughs> I want a CO me and a CO you to become a CO2. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> I want to turn methane into us thane. 
My heart is formed like the climate, but this change was man-made. <laughs> the global mean temperature may be rising, but I will never be mean to you. <laughs> will you be my cli mate? <laughs> Yours with affection, Stevie. P.S. If it's too soon for fracking, are you interested in carbon dating? Please thank Tim Flannery. Now, before we go, before we go, we want to leave you with what you should be scared about next week. So here is Desh with some fearsome fears. Oh, oh, oh shit, where's my script? Um, oh, oh, hang on, this. What's, what's going on? What's going on? Just give us a second here, guys. I... I heard somebody having a crack at us earlier. Yeah, that's not cool. Ah, oh, no. it's Aaron and Dom, the Bondi yeah. hipsters. Aaron and Dom, Dom and AIDS, man. Dom oh, AIDS. Sorry, fully blown. I just wanted to say that there's. We released a song a few weeks ago, and there's only one radio station hey, that's totes underground enough for us to want to play it. Yeah, cool. And um, I take that as a mad compliment. We just negged FBI because you neg things that you want to fuck, really. And we would love to fuck FBI. <laughs> why, why would we? It's why so would, hard to get. Why would yeah. we play your song? Why would we play your song? You totally bashed us on your YouTube show. Hold oh, on a sec, bro. I don't hold think, on. You're looking at this whole fucking thing wrong. We gave you the biggest compliment one can get, yeah. and we called you guys totes underground. I mean, do you know what an amazing brand? value it is to be able to actually like let everybody out there know how struggling you are and so that they actually delve into their own pockets to help keep you alive i mean everyone can easily hate banks and hate fucking corporations but hate how hard man. is it to hate the fucking starving african child it, and you that's can't what hate Radio people is. that are dying and struggling in fact you love them just a little bit more and that's that's what we, we have an affinity say. to fbi because of that and so we think that it's totes cool that you guys want to play our song, yeah? Yeah, you're gonna play our track, yeah? All right, look, we'll we'll play your track. Cool. Fuck yeah. Mad. Hand it, hand it over. So, um, I bought this. <laughs> A cassette tape. Yeah, tape. Yeah. I mean, you know, fuck. You guys are underground, so surely you've. Tom, can we play? Though. Really? Oh, he's got a, he's got a fucking MacBook, bro. Oh, does he? <laughs> They're not going to be able to play our cassette tape. On we can't. But um, but I'm I'm sure if people Google you, Google's so fucking mainstream, bro. <laughs> You're better off using Alta Vista. Yeah, it's just totally old school. Find us via pigeon. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Please thank the Bondi Hipsters. Now, before we say goodbye, we want to leave you with what you should be scared about next week. So here is Desh with the three fearsome fears. Fear number three, Bob Cutter realising that all Australians aren't real Australians will start a campaign to have Australia vacated. Fear number two. After realising that he can change the president's policy so easily, Joe Biden goes on to meet the press and declares, he declares he thinks ice cream should be for free. <laughs> and fear number one. Ashton Kutcher to, is to play the role of Steve Jobs in a film about the days of Apple. If it goes well with a sequel, well, well sorry, if it, if it goes well, the sequel will be called about, Dude, Where's My iPad? That'll do. This has been Irrational Peer. Please thank our guests. Irrational Peer is produced for FBI by Dan Alley, Dan Nash, Tom Lowndes, written by Scott Abbott, Lewis Hobber, Alice Fraser, Veronica Milson, Jazz Twemler, James Colley, Mark Humphreys, Dylan, Bian. Special thanks to our guest, Desh. 
Sophie Bram, Hinge Franklin, Chris Taylor, Lewis Homer, Scott Abbott, Tom Lowndes, and Tim Flannery. Please thank Claire Hooper and Jazz Twemlow, the Bondi Hipsters, and Seton K. Smith. Uh, special thanks to Kimberly Gausser and Inner Box Caroline Gase. Follow us on Irrational Fear on social media. And remember, there's always something to be scared of. John Deeks, not speaking. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.